Uh, we are looking tonight at uh, a series of messages on Sunday evening we call Revelation, not uh, the book, but talking about the things that God has revealed to us. And tonight we're going to be looking in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. You can turn there and follow along. You can follow on on the screen. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until this day. The things God has revealed to us. Specifically, he speaks of things that have been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And where we spoke of this season this morning under the heading of uh, the seed of Abraham, to, tonight we'll be looking at this, the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we'll take a careful look at our text tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 1. But before we do, I want us to add in another passage of Scripture from Colossians chapter 1. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, in our text, Paul was speaking of those things uh, that were given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That was in the purposes of God, in the plan of God. God determined that these things would be given to us in Christ. Before time began, I just love that statement. Um, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior in Colossians chapter 1, he speaks of this as a mystery, but now revealed. And remember that uh, Moses said so long ago in Deuteronomy 29 and 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So these things have been revealed to us, and they are revealed to us uh, with a purpose, that it might change our life, our direction, give us purpose for living, and Things that are required to us, of us, because these things have been revealed to us. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul would say, Him we preach, that is Jesus, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Perfect in Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily that is in Jesus and you are complete or perfect in him who is the head of all principalities and power. 
So he speaks of this uh, in, in both sides of this great mystery. On the one hand, he speaks to us of what it means to have Christ in us. Another thing, on the other hand, he speaks of what it means for us to be in Christ. And this is both sides of what the, we call the union with Christ. And this was a mystery in the Old Testament. It was not completely revealed. There were hints of it, things that uh, they said about it in the Old Testament times. But it was a mystery. But now God has chosen to reveal this to us by the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We notice that this was given to the saints. Now, in the popular usage of this uh, term, it implies some kind of an elite person, somebody who has achieved some form of elite spirituality. In fact, there are whole systems of, of beliefs put together about what it takes to be a saint. They had to have so many verified miracles. They had to do so many things. They had to have seen the, uh, the resurrected Lord, all these kind of things. And, and it's amazing how many of those things were attributed to them posthumously. It's uh, amazing how after somebody's dead, they can come up with all these wonderful things that they did and then declare them to be a saint. Uh, I want you to know tonight the Bible says nothing of that. Nothing. We might look occasionally at somebody and say, well, he's a saint, or more likely, she's a saint. Right? Well, I understand what we mean by that. But let's understand that biblically speaking, uh, the word saint is used of everyone who is in Christ Jesus and has Christ in them. In the Old Testament, it spoke specifically of God's people. And in that context, it referred to uh, the Jews. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. That's Psalm 37 and 28. Psalm 116 and 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And there were multitudes of others that are available, but all of them in the Old Testament would refer to God's people, Israel, as the people who were saints. But we're not living under the Old Testament economy anymore. So how is saints used? Specifically, do we have a passage of Scripture that tells us conclusively what it's about? Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God. You see, under the Old Testament economy, the Gentiles could never really technically be called the saints because they were not known as a part of that family of people, as a, a people of God. This didn't mean that the Gentiles couldn't be saved in the Old Testament. Of course they could. Uh, but in the Old Testament, the people of God were identified with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And a person who was not a part of that could never really become a part of that. They'd have to be born again. But now, Gentile believers would become fellow citizens with the saints. That is, we'd become saints too. Members of God's household or family. So that indeed, all believers, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of any family ties to Abraham, regardless of whether they're a member of a church or not, if they are a believer in Jesus Christ, then they are fellow citizens with the saints and member of the household of God. Colossians 1.26 again tells us the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you 
the hope of glory. The incredible things then that God has brought to us through Jesus Christ. And if we continue tonight to just focus on that, we could go from one end of the New Testament to the other. Of all the things that we know now are ours because Christ has been revealed and we are in Christ and Christ is in us. But I want us to think of, about one pivotal passage tonight, 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. Uh, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Uh, now, unfortunately, there's, there's been a lot of people over the years who have come to believe that, uh, uh, you know, being in Christ is, is kind of like being a saint. It's some kind of an elite status you get uh, by being a part of the church. But you know what? That's not what this passage tells us. It tells us very plainly that you're in one of two places. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam all die, and in Christ, what? Shall all be made alive. If you're not in Christ tonight, you're in Adam. <laughs> And uh, if you're still in Adam, then you're not in Christ. But if you're in Christ, then you're in Christ. And all of these marvelous things then have been revealed to us. Now, I said all that, and I know I, I jumped you around a little bit throughout all the New Testament. But hey, I've only, I try to keep these sermons to around uh, an hour or two. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I can't go, go into a lot of detail on all this. Sometimes I just have to give you a little scattershot real quick and move on, okay? And that's what I've done. I've taken you through kind of a scattershot of these things so we can understand what this revelation of this mystery is and what it means to have Christ in us and us be in Christ and all the marvelous things that are revealed to us. But then our text focuses things in very well for us. Uh, there were some things that God had not revealed, but now he has revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So there are three things that I want to share with you tonight that are true about this. Remember, these things belong to us because they've been revealed to us. And so, first of all, this means that we have a message to, be, to believe. And that's where Paul uh, began. We have a message to be believed or a message to believe. Therefore, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. That's in verse 8. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You know, Paul could have avoided a lot of suffering if he had just kept his mouth shut. I didn't get but one amen. Thank you, Brother Bailey, but it's the truth. I mean, it's a marvelous thing. He got saved on the road to Damascus, saw the Lord. You're going to be this, that. It's great. Go here. Get, get baptized. Paul could have sat back there on the back row and kept his mouth shut and said amen every now and then. And he would have avoided a whole lot of trouble. But he couldn't do that. And that wasn't what God wanted him to do. He had been saved, gloriously saved, by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he just had to tell it. He wanted to tell it. He reveled in the telling of it. 
And my goodness, he had a lot of things happen to him because he did. Well, now he knows that death is coming to him pretty quickly, and he's passing along to his young uh, protege, Timothy. And he tells him, listen, you be the same way. Don't you be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to get you in a lot of trouble. It's probably going to get you killed like it did me, could have said. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be intimidated. Don't be pushed back. Don't let you be silenced. Don't let yourself be silenced. We've got a message then to believe. Don't you be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. All of this uh, was true but because Timothy had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. This mystery that was being shown to them was not a mystery that people could be saved. People had always been saved. But the mystery was that the incredible riches of believing on Jesus that were going to come to light by the appearing of Jesus Christ. Because we see him and we know him, uh, then God had a lot more things to show us than he had ever shown us before. Only those who are saved get to enjoy the incredible riches that are in Christ Jesus because only the saved are in Christ and have Christ in them. We have a message, you see, a message that must be believed. We have to keep believing it. We have to keep believing it in order to keep sharing it. I had a good friend one time who told me, uh, he doesn't fear death, he said. I fear apostasy. He used apostasy in... Uh, in a biblical sense, not in the losing your salvation, but of losing your faith and turning away from it. I don't fear dying, but I do fear that I might lose my faith. I thought about that statement many times over the years. <laughs> Quite frankly, I'd rather die than to try to live my life without faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Have something happen to you, some experience, some skeptic come along with an argument that convinced you after you lived for years had known the Lord Jesus to turn away from that truth and stop believing. Be a terrible thing. But while perhaps there are very few people who actually do that, there are some. I can't explain it to you. I'll just go by what their testimony is. I used to believe, but I don't anymore. I taught a young man in seminary, and he went on to Conway, UCA, entered their religious studies department, graduated with a bachelor's degree in atheism. It happened. They took his faith in Christ. Apparently going to the, getting a degree in religion at UCA meant that you wouldn't be a believer anymore because that's what he was. I don't know how to explain that. All I can do is take his testimony. I'm not saying that they do that to everybody. I'm just saying that's what happened to him. But for every person who ends up that way, where... Maybe they lose their faith or turn away from their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that there are a lot more who don't believe it strongly enough to really testify it. 
and to stand up for it. And to stand for it when the chips are down, when life gets tough, when the persecution comes. But we still hold firmly to our faith. There's a message to believe and to keep believing. There's also a meaning to enjoy. But it's now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The first thing this tells us is that death is unemployed. That's the first meaning to enjoy. Death is unemployed. The word abolish comes from a word you see which means to render idle. I didn't just make that up. Unemployed, inactive, inoperative. On the surface, this might seem to be a contradiction of terms since Paul had already said, I'm ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. But it's not. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, death has no power. I want to show it to you. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. If you don't have that passage scribbled down in the notes of your Bible, you ought to. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus said unto her, and her in this case was, uh, this happened at the uh, death of Lazarus. And he said basically almost the same two things to Martha and Mary both. He said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. His two sisters, by the way. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? <laughs> I do. Yep. It means that death is unemployed. For the child of God. Secondly, it means that life is revealed, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, You are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Life, in a sense, you see, is good for one death only. Let me illustrate what I mean by this. Suppose you have a stray dog in your neighborhood. And all of a sudden you hear your baby cry and one of your little children has been bitten by that dog. Uh, you grab your rifle, run out in the yard and kill it because that's the neighborly thing to do. It's a stray dog, it's biting kids, kill it. All you animal rights people. <laughs> okay, it's just a story. So you're dealing with that dead dog and your neighbor comes over and says, you know, that dog bit my kid too. Kill it again. Can't do it. Can't kill something again. It's already dead. That's as far as it could go. I'm here to tell you tonight that anything death could have done to me, it did to Jesus. And when I believed on him, everything death had, it spent on Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus could say, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
He that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. My life is hid with Christ, and death can't touch it. He abolished death and brought life to light. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son shall not see life. That brings us to the end of the third meaning. Immortality is revealed. Immortality. That word has a ring to it, doesn't it? What does it mean? It means not mortal. Immortal means not mortal. Boy, I get really deep sometimes. I do. Immortal. It is something that cannot die or be killed. In Christ, we cannot die. We don't have an Achilles heel. If there was an Achilles, and if he did have a heel, that's fine. But we don't have one. Achilles was a myth. You know that. There isn't some catch to this. That makes us again subject to death. Immortality. Not mortal. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. 2 Corinthians 5 and 4. We who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we were at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, and well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Yeah. Then thirdly, we have a ministry to perform. Paul said, because this is revealed, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. I'll only touch on this, although it demands a, a rather lengthy treatment. But I want to remind you again tonight that the incredible truth of this mystery just begs to be passed on, to be shared with others, to tell people how to be right with Jesus Christ, to help them learn about life, about immortality. There's a whole lot of people in this world that live in bondage to death because they're terrified by it. And if we didn't know that before 2020 came along, we know it now. A lot of people are in mortal fear, and rightly so. They live their life in bondage. Because they don't know Jesus Christ and because they don't know him, they don't know that he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But we know, we know. God help us then to use our time to share it more effectively with others. A couple of more scriptures then and we'll close. Second Timothy, I told you I could go all over the New Testament and just about half. But I've tried to keep it short, and I have. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
One more, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are seen are temporary. Somebody asked me one time, where in the Bible does it say, and this too shall pass? Well, this too shall pass is not in the Bible. However, the Bible does say the things which are seen are temporary. If you can see it, it's temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I think about that passage a lot. Do you believe in heaven? Oh, yeah, I believe in heaven more than I believe in Cabot. (laughs) I do. Oh, do you believe there's really God? And Oh, yeah, I believe in God more than I believe in you or me. Why? Because the things which are not seen are eternal. We're not too sure about the things that we do see. A lot of things that we see are not what they appear to be. But, on the other hand, there's the eternal truth of Almighty God. Heaven's my home. God's my God. Jesus Christ, my Savior, and I hope you know that as well.